Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Nine years. Nine years of the three of us sitting together in a room recording this podcast. Over 700 episodes we've we've published. One more and we have a decade. I can't guarantee that I won't have a crisis, but wow. Is this the most consistent thing in our lives? And sorry to our wives the day after Valentine's Day to say that, but nine years over 700 episodes of this podcast is what happened to time? I genuinely don't know because the fact that it overlaps with the playoff drought, the no series wins in the entirety of our podcast, it it really does make it feel somehow longer. The building, we were there for the last playoff win that the Red Wings have had. The building is no longer there. Oh, I've I've got a good rep time reference with that game that uh, really puts it into perspective. Remember, Crystal came to that game with us. Remember, yeah, we remember had to walk all the way around, and she was pregnant. She was very pregnant with Mika, who's turning eight in a couple months. I think Brad and I get a medal for getting Evan to show up to something twice a week for nine years. That we have to be the only people to ever accomplish that. Other than my men's league, yes, yeah. you're about right. Yeah. At the start of the podcast, there was no Catherine, there was no Mel, there was no Hanker Mika. We had Pavel Datsuk. We had Pavel Datsuk for a short period there. We had a Henrik. It was just Zetterberg. Yeah. At least we upgraded with the wives because everything else is downgraded <laughs> since it has been an amazing nine years, and we can't have done it with you, the listeners. Uh, again, over 700 episodes, 6 million downloads and views. We've been fortunate enough to run events with the, the Red Wings and the Griffins and so much more. So as much as we joke, the reason we show up and sit across from each other at this table twice a week for nine years and counting is because uh, you all make it worth it. So thank you uh, and welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast, kicking off the approach to the decade uh, here to talk about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, the Detroit Red Wings and their loss to the Edmonton Oilers, which was a weird one. Connor McDavid decided that he wanted to be Connor McDavid. I don't know, that one didn't feel like an eight-goal game, but before uh, we we slash into that uh, we'll talk about the rest of the the Red Wings' upcoming schedule, a preview of the Vancouver game, which is going to be happening shortly after you listen to this episode or after it posts. Uh, some little notes feeding into the trade deadline. Uh, an announcement about the Red Wings at an outdoor game. A Michigan team has an opportunity to win at Ohio Stadium once again. An update on Nate Danielson. Uh, some updates on other Red Wings prospects or people in the Red Wings system. And then NHL news has been hot off the presses recently. Feeding off the whole Riley Gregg situation, uh, Riley got a five-game suspension, which is now being appealed, so we'll talk about that. Yarmo Kekalainen earlier this morning was fired from the Columbus Blue Jackets, which we actually talked about not too long ago as being a possibility, so uh, we'll jump into that. The NCAA-CHL deal looks to be potentially dead in the water, which is disappointing if true, and so we'll discuss uh, the ramifications of that and lots more before we jump into overtime. Before all that, I want to quickly let you know, Saturday, March 2nd, uh, Detroit Red Wings versus Florida Panthers. That's also Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. 
So what that is is a partnered event between us and the Detroit Red Wings where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel podcast before the Red Wings game. That live podcast is going to feature special guest Ken Daniels as well as other special guests. There's going to be an opportunity to buy food and drinks. Uh, your ticket gets you access not just to that live event and the the Red Wings game itself. It also gets you a special co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast cap. It's uh, specially licensed, and it's the only time we can run it. It's a limited edition, so we can't sell them outside of that event. The first 400 ticket buyers get that cap. Uh, the tickets also have a built-in discount in them, and a portion of the proceeds benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. At the game, you'll be seated in special Winged Wheel podcast sections with other listeners uh, for you to enjoy the game. So go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description. Only the first 400 ticket buyers get that specially uh, co-branded cap. Again, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description. A portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is why we do this. So Red Wings versus Oilers, Detroit kicked off a little road trip here, starting off in Edmonton, which is never an easy task. And, you know, I was talking to a friend beforehand and he said, are Detroit going to be, you know, clobbered tonight by the buzzsaw that is the Edmonton Oilers? They're not still on their win streak, but we saw how good they can be on their win streak. And I said, you know what? I wouldn't say the odds are stacked in Detroit's favor. They never really are for any team if you're playing Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But Detroit has actually done a good job in the past of limiting McDavid to like one or two points in the third period, for example, uh, and it takes everything in them, but, you know, Cider and with some support can fend him off in a way where Detroit actually has the game within reach. They, they took a point off the Oilers recently, for example. Yeah, that didn't happen this time. It was an 8-4 final, which for two periods didn't look to be the case. It was tied after two, and I think the Red Wings should have been leading after two. And then in the third period, it's like Edmonton just decided to be good. It's not like, yeah, Detroit made mistakes and the defense was bad all game and the goaltending didn't save them this time. But to me, it was less about Detroit and more just Edmonton's like, yeah, by the way, we're a cup contender. You want to see why? Nuts. That third period reminded me of maybe the best basketball interview I've ever seen. And if anybody has seen the clip, it's Iman Shumpert talking about when he had to defend Kobe at the Garden. And it, I highly recommend going to watch it. It's one of my favorite stories I've heard from a basketball player. But this I apply here because the story, and I won't do it justice, but I'll, I'll do as good as I can, is through three quarters of that game, it was Shumpert's job to defend Kobe. And he was having a good game. He was stealing the ball. Knicks were winning. He had he was shutting down Kobe pretty effectively. And he was saying after the third quarter, he's like, I was hype. He's like, I'm talking smack. I'm gonna can't wait to get home and tell my brother I stole the ball from Kobe. And, you know, Kobe's not saying anything. He's been regular all game. And then Amon says he comes up to him before the start of the fourth quarter, taps him on the leg and goes, You had a great game, young fella. You had a great game. And he's looking around all confused, looking up at the clock saying, there's still a quarter left. <laughs> what? And then in the fourth quarter, Kobe proceeds to do what Kobe does, just absolutely dismantles the Knicks. Highlight real play after highlight real play. At one point, uh, halfway through the fourth quarter, uh, Amon's saying, Coach D'Antoni calls a timeout, looks at him like, what the hell? And he just looks back at the coach. I, I don't know. And the point of that story is, Kobe is Connor McDavid and Amon Shumpert is the entirety of the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> it just, he turned it on 
and there was nothing anybody could do to stop him. Uh, yeah, that's actually pretty apt. That must be so harrowing to go up against a player like that who just decides that your night's over. Yeah, just end of the third quarter. You had a great game, young fella, and then just torches him the rest of the game. There was a start to the game that was especially heartbreaking for the Red Wings. So they started Vili Huso, who has been out forever with an injury, uh, trying to rehab that injury. He had a little conditioning stint. It was a shutout in Grand Rapids while we were actually in town. Uh, recently, you know, I talked to Vili Huso while we were there, and he talked about how frustrated he was, you know, with the injury and in the recovery process. And he just wanted to get back into game shape, and he was really excited about that game in Grand Rapids. So I thought, you know, it's going to be a tough test for him against Edmonton. That's one of the Edmonton on the road is one of the hardest tests for a goalie. Period. But good for him to be able to get into a game, and it just started with heartbreak because he looked sharp for the first few saves, and then. Just under nine minutes in, Leon Dreisaitl scored, and on the attempted save, Vili Husso stretched and fell awkwardly and immediately left the game and did not return. Alex Lyon was in before the 10-minute mark. Unexpectedly, Vili Husso looks to have re-aggravated or maybe aggravated something new and is now injured again. And that sucks. Like, goaltenders who are listening know how much, you know, muscle pulls or tears or rehabilitating those kinds of things is exceptionally difficult. And you feel confident, you feel confident, you feel confident, and then it betrays you. That your heart breaks for him. Yeah, you you feel horrible for who so. Hopefully it's not the end of his season, but if it is, you know, he's got all summer and spring to rehab for next season. It does present a very... Tough situation for the Red Wings in the short and long term, but especially the short term because now Alex Lyon had to go up against the buzzsaw that is the Edmonton Oilers. Cold, Mm -hmm. didn't fare well. And they've got another top team in the Canucks tonight who are probably pissed off after getting gradied on in overtime. Yep. And even Calgary hasn't been terrible lately, so now... Yeah, they traded good players and they got better. Yeah, and... Are you going to ask Line to play all three of these Western Canadian games now? Or do they have to put James Reimer in for a game, which, as we know, he's terrible. To, there's no way to sugarcoat it at this point in the season. You can't rely on him to win you a game. You almost can't rely on him to keep you in a game at points. So it, it's going to be... It was, uh, he held his own against Toronto. And it wasn't well, I in mean, the fanciest that's, fashion. That's right? written in stone. Former <laughs> yeah. Leafs players dunk on Leafs. Yeah, he definitely got some magic fairy dust walking into that room, just being an ex-Leaf walking into yeah. a game against Toronto. So it's it's hard to hold that up to any sort of repeatability factor. But it's uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully the Red Wings defense can be a little more sound than they were against Edmonton, which... My God, that's where you're going to hang your hat? Well, every other team doesn't have a Connor McDavid, though. That is true. So, well, have they tried? In theory, it should get better just on that factor alone. If the top three forwards of the Vancouver Canucks skate at each other fast enough, they might morph into a Connor McDavid. <laughs> I don't think any, like every team in the league has that the luxury to even make that joke. That's how good Connor McDavid is. I'm not going to gush about Connor McDavid right now. I'll do that later. But let's talk about the the game itself. So Edmonton went up two nothing uh, in the first period, and Detroit on a power play. It was a 
God, just a gorgeous, perfect saucer pass from Patrick Kane to Alex Dabrinkit on the power play. Dabrinkit slammed it home, and uh, Detroit got within one. And then in the second period, uh, Edmonton went up 3-1, and then Valeno and Sprong worked together in front of the net to bang home another power play goal. Valeno actually ended up scoring, and then in the celebration, tagged uh, Sprong in the face with a high stick. <laughs> he got Sprong as he was raising his arms to to celebrate the goal, and he kind of looked over at Sprong. He's like, was that me? Yeah, Joe. But it was it all started Sprong was okay. And that was uh it was three two at that point, Edmonton, and then Patrick Kane uh put home a great play that was uh between Perron and then Confer made an excellent, excellent pass around the defense uh to Kane in front. I'll have more thoughts on Kane in a second. And that was a three three game. And when it was three three after two periods, I thought, you know, at points when it was three one Edmonton, for example, I think Detroit looked off some opportunities to shoot that they shouldn't have. I think Skinner was showing that he was beatable that night. Pucks got through him and either went through the crease or hit the post. You know, he was having some trouble locating the puck. It was very evident. And whenever you're doing that and the goalie is on Connor McDavid's team, the thought should be shoot, 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 right? Like Edmonton is going to come at you fast and hard and you need to be able to, to have some goals banked. And I just don't think Detroit did enough to capitalize on those opportunities. I don't think Edmonton's defense was on top of it that night. Essentially, the fact that Detroit got back to 3-3, I thought they could have been even better than that. So I'm not complaining that they got back to 3-3, but I figured they weren't they weren't even playing their best, and they were not out of this game. It was a tie game. And then in the third period, it was just like Edmonton turned on easy mode, and it ended up being an 8-4 game where Connor McDavid finished with six assists. Six in one game assists against the Red Wings. 8-4. It was actually 7-3. Perron tipped in a Sherratt point shot to make a 7-4, and then Edmonton scored like two and a half minutes later. But I was watching that, and I thought, yeah, you know, not great from the Red Wings' defense. I don't think they were good all night. Missed assignments. It's hard to cover Detroit's not good off the rush. We know that. And it's hard to cover some of the most talented players and the most talented player in the world off the rush. They were never going to be favored, but it was less about that for me and more just being in awe of how good Edmonton is. Yeah, sometimes you lose and sometimes you get beat. This this felt like they just got beat. I could nitpick about a million things that game that they did wrong because, as you mentioned, there were definitely a long list of things they could have done better. I... This is one of those games I don't think even if they corrected them, they were winning. That's exactly right. Someone said, like, why are you so nonchalant about an 8-4 loss? It's a season-high amount of goals put up against you, and it's not really a scientific way of saying it, but you look at that, you watch how the game played out, and you're kind of just like, it's just one of those games. Like, Connor McDavid's going to drop six assists on you? What are you meant to do about that? Yeah, I always hate these hypothetical analogies because nine out of the ten times they're completely nonsensical, but this is one of those games where you're like, if they didn't have Connor McDavid, it's 4-2 Detroit. And then he factored in on six goals, which put the two up to eight. So it's, yeah, I could sit here kicking and screaming and nitpicking, but they got Connor McDavid. Something I want to talk about. I, As I was watching that game and before things went really off the rails for the Red Wings, I thought, man, Patrick Kane... It's like a regularly scheduled opinion at this point every time you watch, but Patrick Kane is still so shockingly good at hockey. Does it always translate to the Red Wings winning or dominating? No. I think at points 
the players around him aren't always the most prepared to play with him, and we know the kind of impact he brings, which is offensive. But this guy, like, I just had no clue that he could come back from his injury and be even better than he was in previous seasons. He is so good. His vision is so good. His ability to execute high-difficulty passes through multiple defenders is so good. The way he reads the ice, finds the soft spot. The way he allows Debrinkit to find the soft spot and, and read the ice as well. Like He is just... His brain is world-class still. World-class. Yeah, and you can tell the defense knows it. It's amazing how much room they give him Yeah, a lot of the time. I don't know if he has the foot speed or the agility anymore that if they played a high pressure system on on him, if it would work. But you could tell they're so scared that if we do pressure him and he gets through that pressure, well, now we're down one more body in coverage and he's absolutely going to torch us. And there's plays where they're just dropping into coverage, to use a football term, and he's still finding a seam and he's still finding a lane and there's not a damn thing they can do about it. He's so elusive with the puck. It is very difficult for, I would say, both teams to figure out where he's going with it. And the Dabrinka goal was just a masterclass because he gets the puck on the wall and he sort of acts like he's going to, you know, take it towards the net, sinks those defenders down, and then rips like a saucer pass harder than most people can pass the puck right into Alex Dabrinka's wheelhouse. And he just barely got that thing on target. Like most people try and make a saucer pass like that. They are putting it right into somebody's teeth. Like he ripped that thing about two inches off the ice, just above sticks. And it was, it's just nice to watch. It is the, like the deception and the change of pace too. Like when he picks up the puck and you know, he's going to like move it up the ice and make some decisions. It has big, uh, a dad playing keep away with his kid energy where he's just moving slowly, baiting them in. Makes a quick move, little move. He can move his hands slow, but make a quick pass or move his hands really fast. Like he's has a sense of urgency, then make just a subtle little pass to somebody in space. And it's just, yeah, it's something you see in like pond hockey and not in the professional levels. If, if the teams in the NHL that chose not to sign Kane, I'm thinking of teams like New York, for example, the Rangers knew he would be this good. I don't think there's a chance they would have let him pass. Like, uh, I think there's a lot of teams who were way too worried. And he did just have an injury where he was out for a good period of time. But by and large, this guy is better than he was in the past. And I don't know, if he continues this all year, he's going to have a lot of options once his contract is up. Yeah, hopefully the Detroit Red Wings can get him extended before that point. Yeah, that would be nice. You haven't seen a player get respect like this with the puck on his stick since... Not in Detroit. <laughs> Datsuk Zetterberg? Yep, at least. Well, Datsuk is definitely the best comparison because nobody ever knew what he was going to do. And yeah. Datsuk was already two th- plays ahead of where you were thinking. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to watch. Well, the loss wasn't. But again, like we mentioned, you're not going to throw in the towel on the season. You just have to move on from that game, especially because the next game, and it may have been played by the time you listen to this, is against the Vancouver Canucks. And then they have uh, Calgary also on the road on Saturday afternoon. We'll be back with you on Sunday. And then Monday they have Seattle with another afternoon game as well. So no easy tests there. Curious to see what happens with Vancouver and Wallman. If if the hockey gods are good, we'll get another gritty from either team because I think that's funny. But uh, I think Wallman's going to be taking a few extra 
finished checks on him, to say the least. Let's talk about trades, trade deadline, and names that are starting to come into play. And we had a conversation at the end of last episode. We had some questions in overtime saying, do you move Goss to spare now in anticipation of what you can get for him, his contract being up, Edmondson needing to come up, et cetera. And I think the three of us expressed some doubt that the Red Wings would move in that direction. Uh, could be an option, but some other things around the trade deadline in the Red Wings. Beargren's name has been out there for a little while, and we're starting to see more and more of that. Uh, different outlets, different insiders are starting to say, you know, these teams are in on him. Uh, these teams are asking about him. They're watching him pretty closely. So there's some smoke there in terms of Beargren maybe being available and the teams having interest. And I, I think adding a Beargren type late in the season, you don't want to call it fresh legs, but he's not been in the NHL all season. And what he's doing offensively, really all over the ice this year for Grand Rapids, teams are going to see that and say, yeah, our middle six could absolutely use a Beargren, especially for a run to be competitive uh, offensively. So it's not guaranteed that he's gone from Detroit. Uh, I want to be very careful in saying that. But I think there's definitely a lot of interest out there, and I think there's consideration, at least from Detroit side, to see what they can get for him. Yeah, it's that time of year where every good GM is considering all options. You have to. It, it's your job. But the Red Wings are in that position of if you have time, use it. They don't have a ton of time, but they still have you know, two, three weeks, whatever it is, to the trade deadline. I think it might actually be a little longer than that. And there's still a lot to be determined. If the Red Wings get an injury at forward in that time stretch, well, now you're not trading Beargren because he's your likely replacement. Uh, the Devils are only two points behind the Red Wings in, for the final playoff spot with the same number of games played. If the Red Wings fall to ninth before the trade deadline, I think that changes their entire outlook. If they're, you know, in a playoff spot, obviously you're not selling, probably not. If you're four, five, six points out of a playoff spot, I think the Red Wings have to shift to absolutely you're selling. And they have enough games in that stretch where it could dramatically swing one way or the other. And it's hard to get a read on what they should do because right now for me, it's hard to get a read on where they're going to be at the deadline. Yeah, I have more confidence in them being in the position they are now, like uh, uh, fighting for a playoff spot pretty confidently. Um, I, I don't think that it's guaranteed, but the way they've been getting results, and we've talked about this a lot, they've been getting results even in not their best games. So when they put together more complete performances, that inspires me to think that they can hold their own. Toronto's not, you know, crushing the Atlantic and they've now lost their best defenseman for five games. Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. So even when they look down, they Kucherov, Kucherov's you, and then all of a sudden they're moving back up. But still, I think Detroit has every right to say that they can and should be in the mix in a few weeks. So my guess is they'll be in the playoff mix and they won't want to just sell, sell, sell. But like you said, Brad, anything can happen. Injury can happen. Other teams can get insanely hot. You never know. Waiting is the right call. And other teams, what they do could dramatically swing as well. Again, I mentioned the Devils are probably the real only serious threat, I would say, behind the Red Wings to unseed them from that playoff spot at the current moment in time. They almost landed Jacob Markstrom last week. That changes the dynamic of, because the Devils are a good team that can't get a save. So if they get arguably one of the best goalies this season, I don't. that makes me love Detroit's chances less because now the team that can't get a save right behind them will start getting some saves in all likelihood. 
And no Dougie Hamilton is killer for them. Oh yeah, it's absolutely crushing them. But Jack Hughes is back now. Yeah. So it's it's going to be wild. And even with a guy like Berggren, if you're Detroit and you're trading him, what are you trading him for? Because I don't think he's at the point where a lot of contenders are going to sit there and go, yeah, this is the the guy we're gunning for right now in a playoff spot. They want established players who they know are going to help them down the run. And I don't know if Berggren's that guy yet. I don't know if they'd prefer a Bear Grin over, you know, some five, six, seven, eight-year NHL vet. Vancouver just added Phil Kessel. He looked yeah. gassed, man. <laughs> don't we all? But at the same time, if you're Detroit and you're trading a young player like Bear Grin, well, they're not in a position where they should be trading him for some, you know, journeyman, some vet, some 32-year-old rental, whatever it might be. But it, the teams that are likely going to want Berggren are the teams that are on the up and up. You know, Berggren makes a ton of sense for Chicago, San Jose, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not giving up futures. Like, what do they have that Detroit would want? It's such an interesting, fascinating dynamic of a trade because I don't know if there's just going to be a match there. I think I could see a cup competitive team having interest in Berggren. Like, the fact that he's had an NHL, I don't even want to call it audition. Like, you can see what he can do in the NHL, and he's ostensibly better now than he was then. Like, he is not going to be a first-line winger scoring 80 to 100 points. We know that, but we know the kind of player he can be, which is productive. He's not going to win physical battles. He's not going to play a, a like, rough grind type of game where he, Tyler Bertuzzi's his way to the front of the net, but he finds that spot on the right side on the power play, for example, and will always be in that right spot at the right time to bury it. He has a way to find and execute on offense. He can be that middle six, very productive player, without needing, you know, first-line minutes to do so. He just has to fit the mold. So I can see a, a team that wants to make a cup run to say, our third line has two players who could shelter him a little bit in terms of the physicality or whatever kind of game we want him to play, and he can make that third line more productive. Add that offensive IQ to the third line, all of a sudden we have more danger down our lineup, especially as teams line match in the playoffs, especially as injuries happen, etc. So... I agree it's going to be a weird fit, but I think the spectrum is wide where Berggren could fit for other teams. Yeah, but are the Red Wings going to get anywhere near the price they want from a team like that? Because that's, a, that's the point. If yeah. I'm Colorado, Dallas, you know, Rangers, whatever team that's 15, 20 points ahead of the Red Wings and very obviously a cup contender, I'm going to Steve Eisenman. I'm like, if he can't even crack your top 12, you think he's going to be that much of an upgrade on our top 12 that we're going to give you this premium asset for him? No chance. Well, what's the story been for the Red Wings all season, right? Like their depth is very good. Like on balance of good to great NHL teams, the Red Wings have good to great depth. It's just the top end that doesn't match up against the Edmonton Oilers. And then you get results like last night. I, I get what you're saying, Brad. Really, like it's so easy to get caught up in the moment if you're either Bear Grin or if you're a Red Wings fan who's frustrated that Bear Grin's not up and say, well, if he's not going to be up then all season, then he's out and just trade him and get a second back in return. But the reality is like patience almost always pays off in the NHL. So if you're only getting like a, a mid to low second round pick offer or something like that, what are the chances that's going to turn into another Bear Grin? There's no harm in waiting a year. Yeah, it, it's going to be frustrating for the player, but you never know what's going to happen. Don't make a move just to make a move. He could even factor in towards the end of the season. Him and Edvinson could be wearing the winged wheel by the end of the year. So that, and that's why I caution to say nothing's guaranteed. I just know that there's interest on the outside, and I think there's some urgency. Bear, it's, it's very obvious. Berggren wants to be up. 
and it's very obvious that he's good enough to be up. So it is, it, this is, there's no like stereotypical or archetypical path here. You're right, Brad. It's, it's going to be a weird fit one way or another. And if he stays, that'll be a, a weird path for him, but it could turn out. And then also within the the trade sphere, I think you see guys like Noah Hannafin being talked about and as teams and people speculate on who could be a fit for Noah Hannafin and, and players like him, Detroit's naturally going to come up. They have the cap space. They have the need for defense. We've talked about it in the past. Brad will have punched uh, me in the face for suggesting something before it saying it needs to come with a long-term extension, which is I think what that, that would just come hand in hand with the potential trade. But whether there's a lot of uh, real movement there, no one can say, but is there interest? You don't need to be able to read Steve Eisman's mind to know that, of course, Detroit's going to be just asking about that one to see if it makes sense. Yeah, and I think to that point, that's almost where Bergen trade makes more sense as a, a valuable piece to add to a Noah Hannafin trade, obviously with an extension before anybody clips me. <laughs> The Red Wings absolutely unequivocally should not be in the market for a rental this year unless it costs a fourth or less. But yeah, you if if you're trading for a Chikrin, a Hannafin, a, you know, pick whatever guy that you have team control over for a number of years and they go, we want a first, we want a premium prospect, and we want a half-decent roster player. All right, well, the Red Wings have all their first still. Bergeron can be that premium prospect. And then you can throw in who the hell ever else you want. That, that to me, is where that makes a little more sense. We'll see how that develops. I think the trade deadline is going to be, as Brad mentioned, we just don't know what path the Red Wings are going to go on. It's going to be interesting to see where teams kind of flee to after their first, second, and third options are gone from the markets. I'm curious to see if Markstrom gets moved because uh, it was reported that the, the Flames actually asked him to waive his no trade and he approved a trade to the Devils before it fell apart, as Brad mentioned. So that's a big one right there. And that could really change the the dynamic of the teams around Detroit, as Brad mentioned in the wildcard race. All right, more Red Wings news. We have our answer as to why it was Chicago-St. Louis Winter Classic. And we thought, why St. Louis and not another team like Detroit? And we mentioned, well, maybe they're going to be in another outdoor game. Lo and behold... The Columbus Blue Jackets are going to be hosting the Detroit Red Wings at Ohio Stadium for an outdoor game in 2025. A Michigan team has an opportunity to win against an Ohio team at Ohio Stadium once again. I know we have some Ohio State fans listening, so the rivalry is going to be going hard leading up to this. Buckle up. But that's going to be a fun one for Detroit. That's I think that's going to be, not that like Detroit-Columbus is the biggest rivalry, neither team is a world beater right now and Columbus isn't looking too hot as we'll talk about later, but that'll be a fun game. I, I like the, uh, the storyline on that one. The only downside with this is you really can't lean into the Michigan versus Ohio state Jersey theme. Because the colors you're, are reversed. You're, yeah. You're literally inversing the colors. So. Why can't you do that? You can't wear Columbus's colors if you're Detroit and you can't wear Detroit's colors if you're Columbus. It's it, going to look it would, funny. It would feel you weird. literally were just at an, uh, a game where the team was a flying toaster. <laughs> That's a great point, Evan. <laughs> That's off the beaten path. Funny. Uh, it's I, not like they were wearing the Belleville flying toasters jerseys. I also feel like that the biggest hurdle of this is the NCAA. Not, you know, well, actually, I, the biggest the biggest hurdle is getting fanatics to make the jerseys. The next biggest hurdle is dealing with the NCAA because they won't just let you use those jerseys freely if they did decide to inverse and go football theme. Oh, you're saying like use logos and everything? Oh, 
That'd be no, but you could do some creative liberty too. No, make... but that'd be blasphemous. If you're going into, you would almost have to have the Red Wings wearing Michigan colors. But then it, the, the, there's also a question of like, why would the Red Wings be wearing Michigan colors? Like it, Michigan State's a team too. Like, we'll make the jerseys <laughs> blue and green. How about that? You're somehow Listen, have pissed it worked, off everyone. No, it worked for the Hartford Whalers. Let's just let's just use those jerseys. <laughs> I'm excited to see what they come up with. I'm. I already know the, how this is going to go. You 100% you're Everyone's going to complain, and then everyone is going to need to take a deep breath. The logo will fall off because the Fanatics is manufacturing them, and we'll all go on our merry way. Yes. <laughs> what What is ultimately going to happen is the Red Wings will, and Evan is right, get some like clean, classic-looking jersey where everybody goes, yeah, the jersey's great, but we wanted this. That's what's going to happen. We know it. Happens with every jersey they've ever released. We've done that for every jersey they've ever released. Yeah, some of them have aged well. I look back at the Centennial Classic and the Stadium Series one. I actually like the Stadium Series one at the time. It's which, important which to note one the the Colorado one with the big diagonal. That was all right. It's like it's fun for having fun with it. You know. Yeah. It's not. It's kind of like a don't take the game too seriously type of design. Anyways. Cool to see Detroit back in outdoor games, and this might, I would imagine this will start to open up conversations of having a game back at the big house again for a future winter classic. So how about this idea for uniforms for this game for Detroit? They basically don't change anything off the jersey, but they put on their red helmets the white stripes, like how Michigan's got on their helmets. Again, Brad, you're pissing off everyone here. Just a, It's just like a little... Makes them go faster. Racing stripes. That is true. Oh, we could put flames. It could put flames. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll have fun uh, leading up to that one. Other Red Wings news. Nate Danielson at Portland. First 12 games over there, 19 points. Had himself a five-point night the other night. His offense is offensing, which is what we are watching for after he was traded. Turns out when he plays with better players, he does, in fact, generate more offense. So that is exactly what you want to see. So he had that five-point night the same night that Detroit got thumped by Edmonton. So I appreciate him for the the distraction. And uh, minor news here, Jared McIsaac was reassigned to a, a team in the Swiss League, had only gotten into 15 games for the Grand Rapids Griffins. You're going to start to see this more for players who have been in the system for a long time. Uh, McIsaac was a 2018 second-round pick. Uh, three picks, Behind Bear Grid, if I'm not mistaken. So the the longer you hang out without actually, you know, factoring into the Red Wings lineup and as prospects roll over, that's going to be what happens. So the best to McIsaac, uh, a big what if. I think that guy, a lot of injuries in his uh, development, like the player, but just never really worked out for him. All right, let's get into some NHL news. Has anything happened? Uh, almost nothing. It's okay. all going to be contrived conversation as it usually is. The Morgan Riley suspension. Hey, we got something right because we said, doesn't matter who's screaming at you, which fan base is gaslighting you about, you know, some precedent from five years ago, or this is uh, BS because they're against my team or the Leafs never get punished, whatever. It was always going to be that they were going to compare it to the Perron suspension from very recently because the situations are almost completely analogous. Skated with intention to exact retribution against a player who had not committed a foul. Hit them in the face with a cross check. Their head took the blunt of the blow. And I'm quoting the NHL uh, Department of Player Safety video when they explain why they got the suspension. Uh, the head took the, the uh, brunt of the blow and it was aimed upwards at their head. 
Perron got six games for that. He appealed it. We'll figure out what happens the same time George R. R. Martin releases the next uh, A Song of Ice and Fire book, which is to say never. Six games. That's the standard. I actually guessed that it would be five because Toronto would successfully argue the fact that he hit Greg's arm slightly first and they would say it rode up and that the Department of Player Safety would have to reduce it by one game, but otherwise it was still pretty vicious. Lo and behold, Riley gets five games, Department of Player Safety quoted, you know, skated a long ways with a lot of time to change his mind to exact retribution. Uh, Greg's head took the brunt of a cross check. It was a vicious blow. They actually accepted the argument or understood the argument that it was, it hit his arm first, but they did not accept that it rode up because they said it was aimed high. And I think they're correct in that. Absolutely. No matter who screams at you otherwise, like just look at this neutrally for a second. That was aimed high. It did. It wasn't like he aimed at his upper arm or his elbow and it rode up. No, he was aiming high and he nailed him with that cross check and against a player who had not committed a foul. I think the video is funny for how many times they showed the slap shot. (laughs) (laughs) They were saying without saying like, hey, he was asking for something, but they officially can't put that into the ruling. I can't believe I'm saying this two episodes in a row. I think they got it right. I have to make two points on this whole thing, and then I never want to talk about it again. The first one. I'm sure the hockey world is going to afford you that opportunity. Absolutely, it will. The first part, and I'm with you, because if we go back to our conversation on here about when Perron suspended, we said on the one hand it was horseshit because every other cross-check to the face forever has been a one, two, or three-game suspension. Why the hell is Perron getting six? But we also then acknowledged if this is the new standard for cross-checks to the face, we're okay with it because that is what the standard should be for an action that vicious. This has been the first incident since then, and it's about the same punishment. So it is upholding the new quote unquote standard, the new precedent for a cross check to the face, which makes me very a okay with how they handled both situations. Prong gets six, Riley gets five. You can argue the minor details, same thing. I'm going to argue that the reason it went from six to five isn't because, oh, it glanced his shoulder. Cause that's such a bullshit argument. It was the dumbest argument. I had not the dumbest, but one of the dumber arguments I had seen uh, going into this it's because the NHL didn't want to deal with the appeal again. Yeah, that's a, a great point. A thousand percent. They don't want to go through with Riley what they're going through with Perron right now. Because reminder, that still hasn't been finalized. Perron's appeal is still ongoing. So they definitely did not want to deal with that again. But the part that was driving me nuts was the discourse around this. We, as Red Wings fans, are in a unique position relative to this argument because we've been through it already this year. We were where the Leafs are now, where why the hell is our guy getting six games, yada, yada, yada. It is shocking how little Leaf fans brought up the Perron suspension when arguing. We're like, guys, we know Matthew's got Well, why would you bring up data points that don't support your cause? <laughs> yeah. Your Honor, I'm not bringing that up because that's devastating to my argument. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, they, they, the number of times I saw that Alex Chase on cross-check oh, from like my, two oh years ago, I'm like, that was... Two, three years ago. Why the hell? not. Sorry. That is, you can look at that one and look at the Riley one. That's not the same thing. I know. I know. I'm like, guys, we had one like two months ago. Same play where, again, a guy skated a long distance to exact retribution after the play and cross-checked a guy in the face. It's the same thing. And I can even argue intentions were worse on Riley's part because, albeit David Perron was very wrong, he saw a guy standing over his unconscious captain. Morgan Riley had his feelings hurt. 
This is not the same thing. And then this argument online devolved into did or did Riley Gregg, uh, Ridley Gregg deserve it? That is not relevant to the conversation because they're saying he didn't deserve to get a shot or he did. The answer is always in the middle. Hockey code. Ridley Gregg knew something was coming. Taking a clapper into an empty net is not a penalty, but yeah, even he will admit if you get him in a room with no cameras. Yeah, I knew what I was doing and I knew what to expect. It doesn't mean a cross check to the face is acceptable just because he deserved some retribution. If Morgan Riley had just blasted him with a body check, grabbed him by a collar and started a fight, anything like that, this isn't a conversation. There's no slap shot versus retribution bullshit. It's only because he cross-checked him in the face. That's why he got suspended. The motivation, the reasons, the intentions do not matter. I will go so far as to say, I think Leafs and Leafs fans, I think they're lucky that the Perron situation happened because that created a tether to the six game mark in and around. And I think that created a, an amount of the, a fear for the department of player safety about the appeals process. They don't want to go through all that again. If Toronto was the first team to do it, the department of player safety might've had the energy to, to nail him for more. I honestly think this is that play is worth remove all context, remove, you know, all precedent, just go off vibes here. I think that's worth way more than five games, but they couldn't go beyond six or much beyond six because that just happened. So I know for Leafs fans, you're like critical juncture of the season, missing our best defenseman, maybe our best player at points for five games. Rah, 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 rah. Everything sucks for the Leafs. The universe is against us. Fine, whatever. But it could have been so much worse. Yeah, like you said, this could cost the Leafs their season. Yeah. I mean, mind you, they won their first game against St. Louis. Without so predictable. Yeah. Of course. And it was 4-1, which is also hilarious. <laughs> so I can understand why everyone's upset. And it doesn't help that it's Ottawa as well. So it's, yeah, the, the fact that the Department of Player Safety essentially got this one right is always shocking to me. But I don't know. I, I think it's more of a problem that the Leafs are saying, okay, we're missing one of our best players for five games at arguably the most important part of the season. The, you know, a big part of this that people don't consider is the lawyers, like hearing about how many lawyers are in the room for those uh, hearings and then the appeals. Like that's exhausting. <laughs> it is. We, we're not kidding when we say the winner of these situations are billable hours. So Riley is appealing this. He can only appeal to the commissioner. He can't go to a neutral third party uh, arbiter. It's only to the commissioner and Gary Bettman has a final say. So the big lost opportunity for uh, the lawyers in Toronto, billable hours takes a hit there, but they still get one appeals process. But we're talking like five, 10, 15 lawyers in the room for these things typically. And imagine how many are in from Toronto. Like it is the same as they don't you know, have to walk far. No. Right. And it's the same as New York. Like these teams are rich and they are lawyered to the gills. There's no salary cap for your legal team. And this is a lot of money on the life. If the play, if, the, if it costs them 250 K, but they get Morgan Riley back for 
three games, they would say that was absolutely worth it. And then we make the playoffs, and then we get X amount more gate revenue. Like, I'm sure the league was just like, oh, my God, this is so insufferable. But yes. they have all the practice because they're going through the exact same appeal right now. They're going to argue everything they're arguing with Perron. And yeah. to uphold the suspension, they're going to argue with Riley. Yeah. I, I don't see this one moving, but I could be wrong. All right. Uh, let's get into some other NHL news. Columbus finally sees some change. Jarmo Kekalainen is out as general manager. The beginning of what I think will be a big reset for them is seems to be underway, and that's a rich thing to say because they've been resetting for a long, 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 long time. But uh, this seemed to be a long time coming ever since the Babcock situation, ever since Babcock was hired and then fired, and then how Columbus's season has gone. Uh, Yarmo is now out as GM. Columbus's last eight or so months might be top five most dysfunctional worst leadership, whatever you want to call it in NHL history between the Babcock debacle, all the garbage that continually is happening with their team, all their, well, one of their major prospects speaking out going, what the hell are we doing here? NHL history. Like, and okay, maybe not NHL, recent NHL history where once we get back to like Harold Ballard and yeah, before yeah. that, yeah, that's a whole different category. So we'll call it the salary cap era. Yeah. Like we're talking like this is getting near 2019 Ottawa Senators level of what the hell is going on here. My only criticism, oh, sorry, I have two criticisms about this Kekalainen firing. One, they didn't do it nearly soon enough and they needed to go way further than just him. Like coach Davidson, Kekalainen should have all been out and just their season's done. Yeah, it's not ideal to have a team where you're completely resetting everything mid-season. But if there was a team that would probably benefit from resetting everything mid-season, it would have been this one. Yeah, it, like this season is lost, and even next season, what's going to happen, right? There's been, it's a brand new coach in there who came in last second after Babcock was fired, and has that gone well? Doesn't seem so, so. Well, when you bring in a new GM, this the, the timer begins, because coaches do not seem to last long when a new GM is brought in. Yeah. So, Especially someone who seems as difficult abrasive to play for yeah as pascal vincent does so we shall see there's respect for john davidson he's still a key decision maker and part of the whole culture issue that's been percolating over the last half year so it's very very confusing the whole situation yeah, the point of John Davidson was to come in and be like the hockey guy coming over, like well-connected, well-respected around the league and to have control of the hockey operations and and set up a system wherein these top prospects that they're getting, like think of Fantilli and everyone else, basically lifting Columbus out of the perpetual forgotten teams, you know, in the NHL standings, creating a system wherein they can translate that talent that they're reaping in through the draft and create an actual competitive hockey team year in and year out. And it's not happened. So he's stepping in as interim GM for the rest of the season and he's going to have to find a GM to replace. And then, yeah, what happens after that? You're, you're both completely correct. There's going to be dominoes to fall. The coach is going to be in question. How they handle prospects is going to be in question. How they handle like the, the internal staff that people don't even see, that's all going to be in question. Whenever you see a team go through a big reset like this, like everything is is up in the air. 
we like I don't know if we hidden went into a alternate dimension at some point, which caused the Columbus Blue Jackets to go from a well-run organization to then hiring Mike Babcock and firing him before he even played a game. I don't know what happened. I think something happened in the world where the Columbus Blue Jackets right now are the president's trophy favorite, but it's not our dimension. Jarmo Kekulainen got on this insane tear of just saying, F it, we ball. You know, keeping your key players through the trade deadline. He kept Panarin, he kept Bobrovsky to make that playoff run. You know, they beat Tampa Bay that one time. Uh, he decided, okay, great, I'm going to just go sign Johnny Goudreau. They for- baited the entire hockey world to not believing that they were getting Johnny Goudreau, and then they did. They just signed Johnny Goudreau out of nowhere. And I understand that because you need to make bold moves to pull yourself out of the basement, out of obscurity. Like you, you need to make, if you want to put yourself on the map, you need to do big things to put yourself on the map. But it looked like he didn't know when to stop that. And when you have a history of not being terribly successful, he had a little stretch there where he did, but a history of not being terribly successful. And then all of a sudden you just flew too close to the sun. Like you've jumped the shark once you're hiring Mike Babcock. Uh, you can understand what he was trying to think and say, no, I want to keep making bold moves and pulling this team, doing whatever it takes to pull this team out of obscurity and making them competitive and making this a true organization. But it does feel like he genuinely flew too close to the sun here. For a league that is essentially risk-adverse at almost all times, to hang your hat on Mike Babcock as your head coach after, I don't, we don't need to repeat the Mike Babcock resume, but that's, that is bold. That is, and like you said, he flew too close to the sun because if that doesn't work out, you're toast and it didn't work out. And the fact he lasted this long after that is remarkable. The only way he was going to last this season is if Columbus came out and did fantastic and that's just not what happened. Anyhow, there's uh, now a new opening, so we'll see the the carousel move along that one. Uh, Other news. And this one's a little bit disappointing. You know, we had a conversation very recently about the NCAA potentially allowing CHL players into the NCAA to play college hockey, even if they'd played in the CHL. And it looks like the athletic directors and the coaches who would be voting on this don't actually have support for it after all. So what could have been a fantastic pipeline built between the two different but very connected leagues which would have been better for hockey prospects in the NHL and uh, the development process of these players, that pipeline's not being built anytime soon. That's surprising to me because I thought that benefited the NCAA more than the CHL. But I thought so too. It, uh, hey, the NCAA, when do they ever get in their own way? The thing is, like, NCAA hockey is so fantastic and they have all the momentum right now. And so I can see an argument to say, like, why would we hand – any kind of advantage to a, you know, they'll call it a competing league, but you have to see the bigger picture here. I don't know. I don't know the internal politics of the NCAA coaches and the, the specific spats between them and the CHL. I wouldn't be surprised if this gets to a litigation stage, but it's a big missed opportunity for hockey as a whole. If you're a fan of a specific NCAA team or a specific CHL team or you're really embedded in either of those systems. I can understand if you have firm opinions one way or another, but as a, a hockey fan, more options for players to develop that suit them is only a good thing. So kind of, it, it sucks that that was a flash in the pan. The fact that 
So people can never seem to agree on anything ever. And the fact that they said the athletic directors and the coaches all strongly oppose this makes me feel like there's internal politics and yeah. and power pressure going on in, in the background. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. Maybe back to the drawing board. I, I don't know. You, there's clearly some level of politics or people are probably still maybe a little heard about certain certain things that go on between the two leagues and how they interact with one another that they just can't let go uh, who knows it's a very interesting and delicate situation from the sounds of it elsewhere across the nhl uh alex ovechkin has learned how to score again so the race is back on for him to pass gretzky's goal mark and i'm just gonna seed this we don't have to talk about it all today but is there a universe where Sidney crosby doesn't finish his career with the penguins because if you look at their trajectory and what they've been able to do this season and try to salvage those, you know, the tail ends of, of Latang, Crosby, Malkin's careers, they're not doing it. Pittsburgh is fourth on the list of teams behind the Red Wings for the second wild card spot. It's not going well. Not to say it can't turn around, but is it going to track upwards season over season as Crosby rounds out his career? I don't think the conversation's insane. I don't think it's insane, but to steal a line Evans already used this episode, is there a universe where Sidney Crosby doesn't play for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yes, but it's not this one. I, <laughs> I like, if you want to restock your cupboard, <laughs> moving Sidney Crosby certainly would do it for a long, long time. I, I mean, seeing Patrick Kane in a Red Wings jersey is Anything pretty can much, happen, man. Pretty much the, but it doesn't. It didn't come via trade. It came through signing. Seeing Sidney Crosby in anything other than the Pittsburgh Penguins uniform just that doesn't work for me. Yeah. I, I would imagine his ambition is to finish his career and complete his career fully as a Pittsburgh Penguin, and he will rise with the tide and sink with it as well. And I would imagine he moves right into management in that organization. I, I just. I can't imagine it. What? I can't even imagine trying to f- even structure a trade for Sidney Crosby, let alone actually do it. That'll be the most expensive 35-plus-year-old player. How many first-round picks are you allowed to trade? All of them? For the next 20 years? A lot of teams would consider trading a lot of their first-round picks. I think guys like Malkin are a little bit more palatable, although you want to go after the Golden Goose for sure. I've, it would sicken me if, if he went to anyone in the Atlantic division. I think Colorado, like he maybe goes plays with his Colorado uh, would make Colorado, a lot of sense. Yeah. Anyways, it's, it's an insane topic for me to bring up, but I just, I've had it on my list for a while as we kind of watch the way Pittsburgh has gone on. And I just don't see a path for them to, to be cup competitive within Crosby's window again. I think oh. they said Jake Gensel's hurt now too, which was their big trade that's chip. Great. That's awesome. So they love that. Yeah, that's it's not going the way I think they envisioned it as the the last dance, so so to speak. Yeah, the, someone proposed the question, and I had to think about it long and hard. If the Penguins miss the playoffs this year, is there a team in the entire NHL in a worse spot than them? Their core is really old, albeit in Crosby's case, still sick. They have no depth. They have no farm system. They don't have a lot of picks. They gave that up. Don't forget Eric Carlson. And they have a lot of cap tied up in their, you know, if you want to call it core four. 
they are screwed. Like, even trading Crosby for the King's Ransom you get would not be sufficient to restock the cupboard. The thing is, we've been saying that for how many years now? Yeah, but they missed the playoffs last year. And I'm, it looks like they're going to miss again this year. And then they're going to lose Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Carlson within the next three to five years. And that's not even talking about what their regression is going to look like in that time. They are, if they don't make the playoffs this year, they're not. They're just, they're done. Thinking about it from a, my own bias fan perspective, if I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, I don't want them to trade Sidney Crosby. No. no the, I want to see Sidney Crosby on my team for his entire career. What he brings in terms of entertainment and sort of, you know, the professionalism that he has. I would never want him to leave our team. I, much akin to like a Nick Lidstrom or a Pavel Datsuk when they could clearly still play, but they were on bad teams. I would never, ever want that. The way Pittsburgh has operated is they mortgaged a lot, either through intentional trades or poor trades, like trading a first for, was it Reeves? Ryan Reeves, which we didn't even talk about that clown popping off again this week, but. Doesn't deserve the airtime. <laughs> when you get dummied the next game like that by a guy who's about Brad's size, I'm sorry. No, literally he, my size. Yeah, you don't, you don't get the airtime. But. They mortgaged futures to keep a natural arc of a team being top of the league, top of the league, win multiple cups, and then you come back down slowly. They artificially supported that height or at least staying competitive at the cost of future years. We are now in future years. Was there perfect GMing in that process? God, no. I think they were very much masked and helped by Crosby and Malkin and Latang and whoever else, but it was enough where they could still be somewhat competitive. With a perfect GM, I think Pittsburgh could have won another cup or two. Uh, when you have two of the best players on the planet, as Crosby and Malkin were in the time, and I think Crosby's one of the greatest of all time, Like you should have won more, but it just never works out that way, right? The Red Wings should have won more in the mid to late 2000s. Oh, the Penguins got three cups out of it. They're, that, they, they're, they won plenty. That's great. Sidney Crosby... Saved that organization. Yes, literally. Yes, they were having their Christmas party at at Rim, like at in Waterloo. Yeah, they were having their Christmas party when all the Basili stuff was going on. There was a very non-zero chance that they could be the Waterloo Penguins. Yeah, and so this is just a natural arc. Like, so have they been perfect in terms of how they manage the team? No, but it, this kind of is, it feels like fighting the inevitable. And if you're a Penguins fan, you're like, to Brad's point, hey, we won three cups. Does this hurt to watch? Yes. Is it frustrating in the moment while you're watching these individual moves? Yes. But bigger picture, when you look back on it, you're going to say, hey, man, how many teams can win three cups in that span? You've seen players, not maybe not as good as Crosby, but great, great, great players who went their whole careers without a cup. Or maybe they sniffed one and they got three. And it's not like people dislike Sidney Crosby or anything. I think, I think it's plenty of people ob- do. Well, I'll admit, yeah, admit, not Pittsburgh Penguins fans. It's yeah. like, oh, you know, if this guy's a bad apple, then, you know, fine. We can part ways and we'll we'll salvage things at the tail end of your career kind of thing, like a one-day contract and you retire as a Pittsburgh Penguin, I think. No, he's a hero over there. I think, yeah, I think you look at other guys on the list – to move before you even approach Sidney Crosby, because whatever he wants to do, I think you honor it. Thank you for indulging me. I think you're going to see that conversation come up 
more than it's probably deserved. And eh, it's fun. On a quieter episode, I think it's it's fine to just have that hypothetical. All right. As Brad steps out, we're going to jump into overtime here on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. You get access to really great benefits. Uh, we give away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game. The vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. Every ticket this year has gone to our Patreon supporters. You also get access to our Patreon-exclusive Winged Wheel Podcast Discord and all of our bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. They're a blast. I posted a, a teaser clip from a recent one uh, on Twitter recently just to show you they're a bit chaotic and they're a bit unstructured, but they're a lot of fun. So again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show and get access to those benefits. Uh, Luke Larson taking some questions from my patrons. Uh, Luke Larson says, not a question, but I think a point for the next CBA should be that suspensions don't begin until after the appeal process is over. This is how the MLB does it. If a player begins to serve the suspension, they forfeit the right to appeal. I don't, I understand the thinking, Luke. I personally don't agree. But what I do think is that the NHL and the NHLPA have to agree upon a rapid appeal response process. There needs to be some, like maybe you do it in tiers. If it's a one or two game suspension, you can appeal it and play the next game, whatever. If it's like a three or more, you have to serve it, but you have to guarantee the appeal process can be heard quickly. I think it's a logistical travesty what they've done with the Perron situation, I think it's all made up and it's used to game against the players and it's hard to argue in favor of the players when the guy who's, you know, appealing probably just two-handed someone in the face so they don't have a lot of goodwill. But from a players union perspective, yeah, they should be advocating for a rapid appeals process. Yeah, it seems crazy the David Perron one is still ongoing and what is the delay? Like why does it have to be Gary Bettman? Why do you have to go to the tippity top? To do this, there should be someone who can handle this responsibility and get resolution sooner rather than later because it's costing everybody money at the end of the day. Yeah. Red Feather Desert Dog says, I believe we're at the point where the Red Wings need to acquire a goalie at the deadline, even though being a massive buyer probably isn't a good idea. I wouldn't give up any draft capital, but some assets in Grand Rapids could be acceptable with which to part. Do you guys agree? And if so, who do you think could be moved to keep Lyon from being overworked? I understand the sentiment like Detroit moves all over the spectrum on too many goalies, not enough goalies, too many goalies, not enough good goalies. And right now they're on the not enough good goalies because who so is hurt and Reimer, you don't know what you're going to get any given game. So who are you going to get? That isn't just like a dart at the dartboard, right? Yeah, I don't. And what do you do then? You got four goalies. What if who is a short term thing? Yeah. I don't know. That's really tough. I understand the sentiment. I'm not going to like outright disagree. I just don't know what's out there that is worth any trouble for because if they were worth it, other teams who are in more need of a goalie would have done it by now if it's low cost. Exactly. It's kind of just like another James Reimer situation pretty much that you'd be picking up. So I'm not going to say you're better off with James Reimer, but you got to move contracts. You got to fit guys in. Like it becomes a logistical nightmare, not just as simple as adding to the team. And Clint Banesh also adds uh, a similar thought. If the Flames go full fire sale, they would need to move Markstrom with Huso out for who knows how long. What would a trade look like to send Reimer out uh, to help with cap space? What would helping out the goalie situation look like without fully knowing how long Huso might be out? Keep up the great work. Reimer is a is a 
I think if Huso is back, then Reimer is absolutely a primo option to be moved for like a low-cost pick, like fifth, sixth, whatever you want to call it. I think there's a lot of opportunities to take on cap from Calgary, but those are big, big salary caps over there. So I, I don't know necessarily that you're going to get it in a low-cost move with Reimer. You'd be asking for a lot more. Everybody's looking at Calgary right now wondering who is available, how can we get them, and what's it going to cost. So supply low, demand high, the cost will be very, very high to peel someone away from Calgary, I think. Andy says, I'm confused when Brad says the Wings have a problem with depth scoring. The Wings have the fifth most goals in the league and 11 players with 10 or more goals. If you compare that to Vegas, who many believe to be the deepest team in the league, Vegas only has seven players with 10 or more goals. We can say the Wings have an unsustainable shooting percentage, but it's February now. I'd argue the Wings have some of the best depth in the league this season. They need more high-end talent, but I don't think depth scoring is an issue. It will only get better as more high-end talent comes on board and better players move down the lineup. Andy, I, I tend to agree with you. I think I... It's okay to look at shooting percentages and say, you know, they're not going to shoot at this player's not going to shoot at 35%, which he might have done at a, a, over a three game stretch all season. That's fair. But whenever teams have a higher than normal shooting percentage and people automatically say they're going to come back down, I think, well, no, maybe they're just shooting better this year. Maybe they're creating higher danger opportunities. Maybe uh, the way their best shooters can get into the right spaces is translating better this year. Maybe they're researching uh, opposing teams' goalies better. There's a lot that goes into it, and it's not always quantifiable. So I agree with you on that front. I also think you know Brad might uh, talk a lot about the Red Wings' depth, especially before the season. But as of now, yeah, the Red Wings' depth is like they have a lot of players who are quietly scoring really well. Valeno is scoring. Like Kane is going to hit ten goals too. Like they have a lot of double-digit goal players. It's just you're right. It's the top of the lineup. Yeah, I think we, we've we said the Red Wings' MO is superstar-level talent. It seems to be eluding them, and I, I think the depth really has sort of raised the bar. So the they, they're a team that is has extremely high floor. Yeah. What the ceiling is is very TBD. Dustin Penner's pancake-induced back injury says, uh, who would you rather have? And he has a list of pairs, Dobson or Bouchard? Dobson or Bouchard? I'll go Bouchard, but people sleep on Dobson. I don't know who to pick in this one because Bouchard, it's, you know, is he producing because he's on such a loaded team, getting, you know, free cookies from Leon and and Connor, whereas Dobson's kind of in a situation, like, with a team built similarly to the Red Wings. I'll I'll just say Evan Bouchard because he's got a good name. Kind of. Has the same kind of uh, look as you. I don't know if he necessarily looks like. Yeah, a little miserable. Sleep deprived. At 18 years old, he looked like it. He does look like you. Yeah, that is terrifying. I I can't say Noah Dobson then. You look like such a generic hockey player. You really do. Thank you. It's not a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shesterkin or Saros? Oh, yeah. You can't go wrong. Uh, Who's younger? I don't know off the top of my head. You know what? I'll I'm gonna go UC Saros, but you can flip flop. Yeah, Shosturkin is 28 years old, and Saros is 28 years old. Oh, I I don't think these names were pulled at random. <laughs> no, it looks like they put a lot of thought into this one. Um, Reimer or Corpusalo? Oh, Reimer. Less time on the contract. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Josh Anderson or Jack Campbell? Josh Anderson or Jack Campbell? Yeah, goalie. 
Yeah, I'll say Josh Anderson. I'm going to say Anderson too. I feels like you can do uh, a terrible goalie contract is harder to work with. Agreed. All right. That is all for this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. We're going to be back with you on Sunday where we'll have covered uh, the Vancouver game and the Calgary game on that episode. So thank you all for working with our adjusted schedule. Thank you all for nine years of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, Hope everyone had a great Valentine's Day. And if you don't care about Valentine's Day, I hope you had a great Wednesday. To all of our listeners, new and old, we appreciate you. And to all of our Patreon supporters, uh, we can't do this without you. Our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland. Glenn, Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, God Creatives, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, I'm Ryan, Nine Year Hannah, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Jonathan Miller, Kaylin Wood, Let Me Hear You Say Hey, <laughs> Marcus. Uh, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Screen Lube, Strunk, Strunk Flug, that's what I appreciate about you, Wallman's Elite, Dancing D, Iser Plan, Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Axel Sandy Pelica, Bellingham Acid Balls, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, uh, Rafferty Fan Club, Jogan Rafferty fan club, John Evans Derogatory, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, O'Ophelia, Reed, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Talk to you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.